Hello, you are listening to an extract from this week's episode of An Irishman Abroad, the full version of which can be heard over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad, along with the full Men Behaving Better series, our weekly Irishman in America series with Marion McKeown, our weekly running and wellness podcast with Sonia O'Sullivan, and hundreds of interviews with the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores in the fully searchable archive. This week, memory will get bonus episodes including an anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death episode with the biographer Roland Lazenby. That's part of our other mini-series Irishman Inside Basketball. And our weekly online comedy club has made a big change this week in that we are now giving profits from these shows to frontline charities and allowing frontline workers free admission. These shows are an awful lot of fun when previous guests include Ramesh Rang Nathan, Phil Wang, Joe Wilkinson, Abanda Man, Jess Fostacute, to name just a few. Don't miss it. It's every Friday night. All you have to do is go to Return of the Crack dot com for tickets. I'll put the link in the info. Well, I came into contact with today's guest, Emer O'Neill, around the time of the murder of George Floyd, when Emer O'Kelly produced an incredible piece of journalism for RTE about diversity in the Irish classroom. And we recorded our conversation during the summer, way, way back, while I was in Ireland, uh, recording this season of Men Behaving Better. This season's focus is race. And there really has never been a better time to do this, especially in a week when we saw a friend of the show, Hazel Chew, the Lord Mayor of Dublin, attacked in public. The rise of this kind of sentiment and the aggression towards those that now speak out on issues such as Black Lives Matter back home in Ireland is really something that I as someone who's away can't quite wrap my head around or understand I'm not I'm not there so I can't really figure it out so in a way this season of men behaving better is a result of that kind of confusion and trying to understand the existence of racism in Ireland and with Emer here we get to talk about the phenomenon of the microaggression we talk about her growing up black in Ireland and the experience of that and she's spoken since this conversation to uh, many other people including Ryan Tuberty about that but few have spoken to her about this experience of her basketball scholarship she's an unbelievably talented basketball player who won a scholarship to play in Mississippi and you know some of the twists and turns this conversation take are, are extraordinary and surprising and Eamor O'Neill is an extraordinary person and I urge you to listen to this conversation in full over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy the Eamor O'Neill episode of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, 
We had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Emo O'Neill, it is fantastic to have you on Men Behaving Better in this very unique season that we've started. I really felt it was essential that we have a teacher on the show, just like we had Matt Pinkett in the last series talking about the re-education and the reimagining of how we address masculinity within education. I wanted to talk to you about how we approach race, because I do uh, feel like I'm a little out of step and that all parents need to kind of bring themselves up to speed. Your experience is well documented now. And since George Floyd, you've given a couple of interviews and there's been a few pieces online about what you've experienced and seen in schools in terms of addressing it. My first question to you is, what surprised you the most when you started to speak about race within Irish schools? I would say probably the amount of messages I got saying that people couldn't believe what I had been through. That was kind of across the board, the same message. Obviously, there was a lot of support. There was a lot of really nice words of support. But the thing that I would, the conclusion I would take from it all is that there's a lot of Irish people that don't realise that this isn't America's fight, that it's actually an Irish fight as well. It's right here on our doorstep. That's what I would probably take from it. Okay, so when you say uh, a lot of messages and people coming up to you, to your face and, and saying, I can't believe you had to put up with what you had to put up with, like that, uh, just astonishment that they would, they just couldn't believe it was happening in little old Ireland. Yeah, but I mean, like, ultimately, like, I mean, that's the depiction of white privilege. I mean, how how can I expect them to believe that it's going on if it's not happening within their bubble? Mm. But the fact of the matter is, since we've started talking about it, they have opened their eyes and their ears a lot better and realized that actually it is all around them. They mm. just didn't realize it. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I've dug into this and when I've done my research in preparation for our conversation and I looked at, you know, the use of the N word in Ireland and, you know, the this deflection of culpability that oh, mm. sure, they don't really know what they're saying or, mm. ah, sure, look, part of this is black people in Ireland can't take the crack. And that, yeah. sure, I had the piss taken out of me for having a big nose for years. That's what yeah. makes you different. That's what the piss is going to be taken out of you for. What do you say to that? Because I hear it so much. I mean, I, I get that all the time. See, the difference between your nose being big or your ears being big or something like that, you can change that. I can't change the colour of my skin. So if you really come to a point where you can't handle it anymore, people calling you big nose or big eared, you can actually go and have them pinned back or you can get nose surgery, get a nose job and get a whole new nose. The skin I'm in is it covers my entire body and you can't miss it. Mm. So the difference between somebody saying to me, yeah, but like, should we all get bullied and we all get slags and we all get this? It's a completely different thing because sure, 
I have big ears and I'm a person of color, you know? So on top of what you have to deal with, with your big ears or your big nose, I also have to deal with the fact that I'm a different color to everybody as well. And that's a totally different issue. You just, you can never hide that and you can never escape from it. Mm. You know, whenever that's come up and I've been presented with that from people who I just ask to speak to me freely about this kind of thing, I would say to them that, you know, the the biggest difference there not only is that you can change it, it's that, you know, there historically isn't a system of oppression of people with big ears or big noses. I mean, there has to be a historical context to the reason why yeah. this is different too, right? See, like the comments that you're talking about, that's just microaggression and people don't see that as being a, a problem where they make your issue the same as theirs mm. when they're absolutely nothing related to each other whatsoever. Like there's 400 years of oppression and slavery for black people, you know, and you hit it on the head by saying like, how can you compare that to having a big nose? You know what I mean? And But I think it's, it's trying to get that message across to people that I have found quite difficult. There's some people that are on the fence and then there's just some people that are just way far right that you're not going to get. And to me, I I, al- I almost think you're, you're way, they're too far down the rabbit hole to get them back up, unfortunately, because I've had this conversation with people. You mentioned the N-word. I had a conversation with a man because um, I have a video that explains the N-word, the UCN word and why you hear black people say it, because a lot of people don't understand if it's such a, a terrible word, why do black people say it? And I tried to explain that basically, you know, black people have they've taken the word back and they've taken the oppression from the word and tried to use it in a colloquial term. So it takes the hate out of the word in a subversive way. And Mm. I think that is an amazing thing to do. I think it's very powerful. And there's a lot of other organizations that have done the same thing. Like if you, if you think of LGBTQ, like, you know, queer was always a bad word. They've taken it back and reclaimed it. You know, you can say it for a few different things, but, he was not happy with that answer to him. His response to me was that, well, you see black people all the time. They use the N word towards each other and then they're all shooting each other at the same time. Mm. And it's like, for me, you know, I think that person, they don't think that they're racist. They do not. They do not understand that what they've said is racist. It's sometimes too hard to pull somebody out of that. If they're too far gone to understand that, you know, a word is just a word at the end of the day. And if black people people can somehow make that word so it no longer hurts them and offends them, then well done. Yeah. And fair play. Yeah. You know, and not everybody feels that way. Like, I don't use the word. I personally still struggle with it because uh, growing up here in Ireland, I was called that word a lot. So it's very hard for me to say or hear the word and try and take the hate out of it. I'm just not there yet. But I haven't got a community of black Irish people around me to discuss that and, and, you know, come to that conclusion where I'm comfortable with the word, you know. But ultimately, it's a slave term. You know, it is it is a bad word. It has terrible connotations. And if you're not black, you shouldn't say it, period. There's just no exception to the rule. Well, let's get into that uh, growing up in Ireland, because you know, you really had an awful lot of experience from uh, a multitude of different angles here in that you said you grew up here and were that term was used against you a lot. 
then you win this scholarship to the States to play basketball, which is no mean feat. Like I, I will tell you, and if you guys want to listen to Inside Basketball, we can go into this a bit deeper. And Eamor is going to do an episode over there too, because this is, a, if you consider you're competing with every basketball wannabe in America and you beat them out to this spot in Mississippi to go to school there. Tell me about the difference you felt the second you arrived there versus what you'd lived in Ireland. Well, one of the reasons I really wanted to go there was because I, I really was hungry to see other people that looked like me because I wasn't getting that here at home. Um, I grew up in Bray and um, there was probably about four or five people of colour in the whole town. And even in school growing up, like there was no, I was in a school of 800 students, 800 girls. And I was the only person of colour in the whole school Wow! for many years. I think I might have been in fifth year, maybe when the first first black person actually started school in our school. And like, so that's, that's very tough constantly, you know, not seeing yourself represented around you. So I was really excited to go to the US, the, the land of dreams and, you know, um, know that there was going to be people that are mixed race there and a lot of them. And I wouldn't be somebody that people want to stare at necessarily because they, they see people that look like me all the time. And that was the case. It absolutely was. However, I did experience racism in like a completely different way when I was there. You know, first of all, I, I went to Mississippi that, you know, a lot of slavery dates back to Mississippi and a lot and it was probably one of the last places to even you know abolish slavery or you know to get their their state really on board with accepting black people into their communities and I found it to be still quite like that even when I was there in 2003 Um, so like even going up to the yeah, yeah. Like you would see in the cafeteria, it wasn't segregated. There's no signs like there used to be on the walls, obviously, where it says blacks here, and you know, or whites only. But you would see a lot of the black people sitting together and you would see a lot of the white people together. Like for me, that was really strange because it was segregation, but it wasn't because they were being told to. But it was like likes wanted to be with likes. And unfortunately for me, I didn't really fit into either the black culture or the white culture because I wasn't black enough to you know be a black person but I also wasn't white enough to be a white person and I, th- I think I, I fell into a little limbo there that I hadn't realized that I actually was in mm. or was going to be and uh, I think people struggled a lot to accept that I had an Irish accent and that I was Irish but I was black that was just mind-blowing for them <laughs> yeah um, and like even just like talking in general, like I, I I ended up with a really strong American accent because in my first six months there, I refused to like change anything about myself. But I got so tired of people like just saying, oh, um, what did you say? Sorry, pardon, excuse me so many times. And then finally, I think they were getting so tired of saying it that they would just say, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Like I could have called them anything in the world and said it to them. And they're like, mm, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> See, who because actually adopted the accent then just to avoid all the confusion. Yeah, like I'd be musical anyway and I do act. So I'm not bad at accents and being surrounded by it a lot at all it was just a matter of me accepting it and just saying and just going with it and being like fine mm. i think you're going to really struggle if you if you don't stop saying like when you get my basketball boots out of my boot of my car and they'd be like you're what out of your what <laughs> like 
what's what are basketball boots number one and what's a boot number two you know and just like rubbish and they're small things but they were constantly coming up in conversations and just even like the way just in general i i spoke so to, so Emer, like that like this is you know this is kind of mind-blowing and it's going to be mind-blowing to an awful lot of listeners too because you know the 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 journey there is obviously the it's living the dream it's playing basketball in a division one school the full-on high school musical uh whatever yep. 17 again version of yep. america that uh <laughs> that paul cummins described in that episode of inside basketball with me and for you it's even more it's like in some ways when i moved to england i was excited about the anonymity because I really felt in Ireland, particularly as a comic, everyone knew what you were doing. Uh, I can't imagine how claustrophobic it was to grow up in small town Ireland when, like you say, people Mm. want to just have a look at you. What was that like? Absolutely. Well, I mean, like no matter what happened, let's say even in school and a teacher would say, now mrs murphy saw this going on and she knows who was there and i'd be like well who was there well would she definitely know she knows definitely that emer was there (laughs) and it's like you know how she knew that right because when you look at a group of people you just see a group of people but when you look at a group of people with one person that's mixed race you're not going to forget that one person you know and and that was kind of a consistent thing. Even if I wasn't even a part of what had happened, it's like, well, I definitely saw her there. Yeah, you were the landmark. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, the, you, know you could pick me out of a crowd. Um, and, you know, I suppose, like, growing up, always being in the only person of colour in a room was was tough. Like, everywhere, even as an adult now, even, like, so I travel around Ireland and I, um, like, we have a new PE short course. So I've been travelling around Ireland. I was doing this all last year and teaching the, the PE teachers of Ireland how to start progressing into this new curriculum and putting it into their schools. And, like, I'm seeing PE teachers from all over Ireland, like, there's no limit to where I could have to travel to. And I never, not once, have I seen a person of colour, mixed race, black, brown, in my courses, in my seminars that I'm giving, ever. Like, I'm always the only person, no matter what. Now, why now, it just is feels that? Like, 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 that's, first of all, to all our English and listeners around the world will be like, that seems nuts. It's, yeah, it just seems bizarre that that's the case. And I've seen you say this a couple of places. What do you put that down to? Like, I think for me, first of all, I was, I'm very used to it. So I just think I'm just thinking to myself, well, like here in Bray, like you could walk one end of Bray to the other and not see a person of colour. No bother to you. Like, that's totally normal. So for me, I didn't really question it too much. But it's as I've been doing a lot of work with Black Lives Matter is that I'm realising there are loads of communities and there are loads of black Irish out there actually. And it's been so amazing to meet them and actually have some friends and people that completely understand where I'm coming from. Cause I haven't had that. I really just haven't had that growing up, but there are pockets where you would find a lot of diversity and it's, and it's amazing. But the problem I suppose is when you come, when, when, when you're talking about me and going on those, going to all those seminars and talking, it's, um, it's education, education, so now we've narrowed it down to something else a little bit more specific. So within education, how d- diverse are we within education? Hmm. 
how diverse are we with teachers in our schools, with principals, with deputy principals, with people of administration in general in schools in Ireland? And this is what I have found out. Now, I did not even realize this because I really try not to give a lot of this stuff a lot of thought because sure. a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you how do you just get over that kind of stuff and just keep on trucking on? And I and I say because I just try and raise rise above it if I let all of the things that have been said to me over the course of my life or the way people have treated me and the things people have done to me based on my colour actually have an effect on me I probably wouldn't still be here um so I have learned to be able to deal with that and and try and rise above it and continue to just fight my own battles and and work hard as as a human and do well for my family and my kids but at the end of the day, this movement has really opened up my eyes to the fact that like, we don't have a single black or mixed race or person of colour, let's say, um, in a principal or, or a deputy or principal position in the whole of Ireland. It's like... like that's mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing because like you say, it's like the 2020 campaign. You know, exactly. if you can't see, that's you can't be. Yeah, and, you, and you actually hit the nail on the head, Jack. Completely. And what does it say to all those children of color exactly. and mixed race kids in Ireland? It says exactly. those spots are not available for you to so look elsewhere. And even if it Absolutely. isn't said explicitly, subconsciously, that's what's going in. So I, I feel like we'll, we'll come back to America because, you know, that is where yeah. you spent 10 years of your life. But while we're on this, you know, you're an educator. You're in there each day meeting these kids who I maintain are the best kids in the world. Like I, I'm 100% biased, but there's something about Irish kids that I absolutely adore. There's aspects that I don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. They can be vicious and cruel, just like every kid in the world. But there's an abundance of fairness within them. I think they come with a bag of conscience and humor. But you correct me if I'm wrong on that. How are they to deal with? And do you receive any kind of racial abuse or punishment from them? Okay, well, first of all, I'll just talk about when I came back home. So after 10 years in the States, I had a bachelor's degree in education and a master's in leadership uh, and administration. And I had six years or thereabouts of teaching under my belt when I came home. And um, it took me nearly two years to find a job. Now, I, I, I can't say that it has anything to do with my colour and it's not something that I have projected. But I definitely think that there is a couple of jobs that I did go into that they asked, you know, about Irish. And before I could even answer, they said, well, sure, you obviously don't have Irish. So but anyway, we'll forget about that and move on. And I'm kind of like, actually, no, I do have Irish. Like I was born and raised here. Like, but like you wouldn't think you'd have to get into that into a, in, in an interview, mm. you know. And uh, my son's actually in the Gwail school. Like our, our language is very important to me. And um, so that was, it's quite insulting, you know, that people would would jump to conclusions like that straight away. And um, but I got a, I finally got a full time job at um, a lovely school, an educate together school in Bray. And, you know, first of all, I'm a woman and I'm teaching PE, so I'm already in like a, a box as it is, you know, because 
when you think PE, you obviously think men. So I was probably pushed out of a lot of jobs just based on the fact that I was a woman also along the way. But they obviously saw something in me and teaching at my school has been a great experience because we're extremely diverse. And I love the fact that like I'm the only I'm, I'm the only teacher of colour in the school, but I think it's great for the kids because we have got mixed race and black kids in our school to be able to see a teacher because I never got that in my entire education all the way through up until I left Ireland. I had never seen a black teacher in my life ever. So and I think that's very important. And I think it's very important even for white students and, you know, to be able to see people of colour and black people in a positive light that they're educated and they're yeah, well that's a no-brainer. That's no, of course. Yeah, well, you would think it's, it's a no-brainer, but it's It just seems crazy that we're even having to say that, though, right? And yeah. that there will be people listening to this going, and this is news to them. Just like generally, in, in the past, black people have a stereotype about them that they're uneducated, over-sexualized sometimes, you know, and you know, involved possibly in drugs and scams and, you know, this kind of thing that children will hear as as at, in the home place, even if, you know, it's not directed at them. So for them to go into a school and see that there's no black people in education, it's like, well, my mum and dad are right, like, because you'd hardly have somebody like that in here anyway, around kids and teach. So it's so important, I think, just in general, so that we can, like, make sure that our kids are global learners and global citizens as, instead of narrow-minded because I think we're doing them an own service by, you know, when they go into the big bad world, not understanding diversity and inclusion and the empathy for other religions and, you know, ethnicities, etc. You know, so I do, I do love that I'm there in my school for my kids because I honestly would have loved that for myself and then I think of my own children, you know, so like my son is half Jamaican, a quarter Irish and a quarter Nigerian, and he's quite a bit darker than I am. And I have him in the Gwale school. Now, a lot of people were like, why would you put him in there? Like, you'll never see anybody that looks like him or, you know, do you not feel like he'll be even more ostracized? Now, the fact that that even needs to be a conversation yeah. is heartbreaking. But yes, of course, it did cross my mind. It even crossed my mind when I became pregnant, would I come home with him and have him in Ireland or not? Because I knew what I had been through. And did I want him to go through that as well? But I said, you know, 10 years le later, surely Ireland has to be a different place. But we're, we're still kind of in the same same-ish place. Like one of the things, one of the experiences I recall is that my mum coming up to the bathroom and I'm in the bath and I'm trying to scrub off my skin, the brown off my skin and I'm crying because it won't come off. And, you know, she starts trying to explain to me, like, you know, between her and my dad, how they made me and, and I've taken this colour and I will have this colour for my life. And it's beautiful. And I'm so upset because I just want to be like everybody else. And it's not fair. And I was probably about five. And then I have my son now um, saying things to me like, mom, I wish I could be like my dad my husband um I wish I could be like everybody else like around me and all and like really sincerely like and he's only just gone six so when you look at it like how much or how far have we come in 10 years because why is he feeling those things it's not like these are conversations I've had with him he's too young you know I think to be telling him my experience just yet but off the off his own back he's 
come to me wishing that he was white like why and I feel like I can almost tell you why like look around you everything in his whole entire world is white everything is white as soon as he walks out our front door everybody he sees is white if he opens up his school books all the kids in his books are white when he turns on the tv any Irish channel any media platform at all all white you know, he's not represented anywhere. And you look, when I say to him, like, babe, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. It's like that 2020 thing you're talking about. I'm kind of lying to him because their slogan is, if she can't see it, she can't be it. So basically, when I say to him, you can be whatever you want, what what am I actually saying to him? Because we don't have, you know, black people in leadership positions mm. we have very few guardi even so people that look after us as a, as a world that keep the peace you know that are kind of a symbol of authority within just communities we have very I've, I've never actually ever seen a black guard but i know i've done research that there are a few out there you know but as far as like you know tea shocks and counselors and you know ministers like how many how many black ministers do we have like you know what i mean and but yet, I'm still telling him you can be whatever you want to be, even though you probably have no teachers that are that look like you. You have never and probably wi- and you will never see a deputy or a principal that looks like you in your because that's his world. At the moment, his world is school and his friends. That's just it. And, you know, he, he's just not seeing himself represented, nor did I growing up. And it's something that I, I think we really need to start acknowledging because it is clearly affecting our Irish kids. Yeah. Um, and like you, it's It's like Emer, I have to say thank you for, you know, sharing that because I know that that's not easy. I know that, you know, you've said it before, but I can I can tell from your voice and I I can tell because I've got ears that and I've got a son. So as I said, that is an extract of that conversation with Emer O'Neill. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad to hear the rest and to hear absolutely everything that we produce from Irishman Abroad each week. That's three full podcasts for you to enjoy. And on Friday nights, your own comedy club brought to your house. Let us bring the gig to you and you'll be supporting Irish frontline workers and charities across the UK and Ireland during this very difficult period. A shout out to my producer, Brian Connolly, researcher, John Marr, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible and all of you for tuning in each week.